Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Yes, that's right, folks. You heard that right. Welcome back to the show, Mr. George Zerfi. Guess who's back? Hey. <laughs> As we mentioned on a, not this past show, but I believe on episode 18, uh, George has recently relocated to the great state of Virginia, and he loves home brewing, and he loves Illinois so much that he just couldn't stay away. Yeah, that's that's, that's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It has nothing to do with work or anything like no, that. No, not just at all. Could, just yeah. couldn't st- couldn't stay away from the <laughs> from the great uh, Illinois brewing scene. <laughs> well, welcome back. It's like it's a you. it's a thrill to have you. It's a it's a thrill to to have the uh, have the mics going again, and uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like we never left, right? Yeah. Actually, we set up remarkably quickly. I, I don't remember it being that smooth before. So, yeah, well, you uh, you said it perfectly right uh, right when we got started. It's like you know what? It's like we've done this a time or two. <laughs> yeah, we, it's almost <laughs> like we know what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we had a conversation earlier this evening where uh, we we both had uh, had mentioned some uh, mixed opinions about the idea of three hour rambling podcasts. <laughs> Me being a super fan of them, I just happen to enjoy it maybe it's a voyeuristic side of me uh george not so much kind of yeah. zones out but uh well, we'll see and, and being uncomfortable with that voyeuristic side <laughs> right i, right, I feel exactly. like i'm crashing joe rogan's conversation <laughs> with somebody and i'm just like i don't belong here but at the same time i think that's the appeal well of, yeah of that and i understand that yeah. i just you know it's yeah, not where my head's at. Yeah, so. yeah. My my, my uh, the way I way, the way I describe it, it's kind, it's kind of comfort foodish. Yeah, at that point. So, anyways, I'm not sure if that's what it's gonna uh, tonight's gonna turn out to be, but uh, we're just gonna see where this goes. Yeah. Anyways, welcome to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason, and I'm George, and we have a bottle of Apocalyptic Bebop. This is a special release from Two Brothers, located yeah. in Warrenville, Illinois. What else you see there? I see aged in Napa Cabernet um, barrels from 2012. Oh. Yeah, it's a Belgian-style quad. Uh, So it's actually a little light for a quad, isn't it? Uh, That was my thought, too. And I also kind of was half thinking that the wine notes were a little bit mild in this, but... If the year on that is 2012, that probably explains that. Might not be the first time it's been used for something like that, you know, if the barrels were from 2012. That's this, that's possible, too. Because this bottle's from last year, right? So, uh, Well, I, I was well, gifted you won that. It last that that year. could have been sitting in a, in a in some, suitcase <laughs> somewhere for, for four years. Uh, true, yeah. So, where, where does it say 2012? Let me see that. Well, it, uh, uh, right there. It says aged in 2012 Cabernet bottles. Oh, oh. It doesn't oh, say okay. the, the beers from 2012. It says that oh, the barrels are oh, from 2012. Okay, all right. I, okay, I, I change my answer then <laughs> to round it out it's from two brothers in in warrenville uh if you guys aren't familiar with them they're they have some really good stuff you know that that's that almost brings up an interesting question the uh the bigger breweries that do their barrel age projects uh-huh i would imagine that they would be one and done with those barrels do you I think it's do, i don't think, think so not? i think that especially with um bourbon barrels i've heard them talk about Rescorching the inside and using them over again 
You know, I, yeah. I, I think there's a, a yeah. essentially a time limit, and and every time you use it, you'll get less and less of that original like rye or bourbon flavor out of yeah. it. But I, yeah. I don't think it's a one and done thing. That's interesting. Yeah, just you could from, ask uh, the monkeys because they're doing that right now. Well, in in conversation with them too, I, I did ask them a, a question about how they acquired their um, uh, barrels, and he did mention that they were bought direct from Kentucky distilleries. Right. Yeah. No. That's so. That's, I. I mean, if it's coming straight from a, d- a distillery, I mean, there's not a beer that's been in those barrels before they right. have. Yeah. And I. I, I you know, I imagine the first time you do it, you don't have to age them for as long as then they just soak up that flavor. Sure, yeah. So the next time you do it, you, you probably have to wait a little bit longer, and I don't know how much longer that is. That would be an interesting question. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, doubt, I, I have a hard time believing that one time out and all that flavor has gone. Yeah, and not to mention the expense of the barrel. That's exactly, another part. Because those aren't cheap. No, no. I, I've I've heard a range of prices from distilleries. The range I've heard is about one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a barrel. Yeah, which I mean doesn't sound outlandish, but no. you know, start doing the math on that. You know, that's that adds up real quick. Right. I mean, you're looking at if I remember correctly, they hold about fifty gallons. You know, it ranges. Um, I. Th- because the one we, I may have been wrong about this, but I have I was always under the impression that a standard barrel size is thirty one gallons. I think that's a standard. I think that's the problem there. I think that's a standard beer barrel. Okay, but I think a beer barrel and a whiskey barrel are two kind of different barrels. And a wine barrel. Like, can we consult I, the Googles, please? We, we probably can. My phone is was like just basically dead. Oh, so. all right. I'll hold the fort down. <laughs> or, or is it? Is there it's still charging only like behind you? Is it still like only like four to five percent? Yeah, like it was at like two percent oh, like two minutes oh, ago. Oh, okay, but we'll all figure right. that out. To we'll, be continued. We'll, yeah, we'll figure that out. So <laughs> I do want to round this out here. So it was a it's a uh, Belgian style quad aged in wine barrels, ten and a half percent by volume and uh 20 ibu so really low on the hop character there which you'd probably expect from a quad I, yeah i would yeah and uh and the srm is shockingly low for is it, is it uh, list the srm or we're just, no, we're just seeing that we're just from seeing the glass yeah. yeah this this looks this pours like a almost a triple like if you aged a it's triple a, it's a little darker than a triple but but what I was gonna say is if you aged a triple in a wine barrel in a red wine barrel that's the color I would expect. Okay, that's that's fair. But not from a quad. I mean, it pours like a light lager. It does. That's that's what it looks like. Yeah. I really wish this bottle had a year on it. Mm. I'll bet it's an annual release. But I mean, if if it's not there, it's not there. So it's just not that I'm guessing. seeing. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, I mean, it had all the right characters. Belgian quad, aged in Cabernet bo- barrels. Lots of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful recipe. And <laughs> my my review on this, it's all right. Yeah, I'll give it a solid. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to rave about it. <laughs> I love our, 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 I love our scientific. We yeah. just like, yeah, take. <laughs> stars or out of 10 or no 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 he's like i'll give it up yeah. okay and i'm like it's solid yeah. I'm like, meh, meh. see our friends over at untapped just have this down to a science and they've got it right 
What with the with the starring system with the star? Well, the yeah, sure. Yeah. But you know, what's the me? Fun I'm in just, that? I'm just <laughs> meh. Yeah, that's that's yeah. all. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I love Untapped. I'm a, a yes. I I won't say I'm a regular user because I I I don't very often do check-ins, but I love the fact that something like that exists. Something that has such a huge archive of beers. Basically, any beer that's made in the world has a presence there on Untapped. You can search, you can build wish lists, you can do check-ins. It's awesome. Oh, I'm just waiting for the check to arrive from Untapped for you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm all for that, and I have used it. And it, and right. one, one of my favorite features is the find a beer. So you find it, oh, and you're yeah. like, where can yeah. I find this? Yeah. But I just I can't wrap my head around you know a lot of like that check-in style social media and that is that's a that's a problem in my head that i can't make myself use it because that whole like you know like four square and um yeah are you worried big brothers just keeping records of you oh god no i just don't think to do it (laughs) at all and then afterwards you know i'm like you know two months later i think Man, I should have put that in there so I could remember it, and then yeah. I, mean, I just you know, don't. So <laughs> that's my problem. You can, if you're concerned about it, setting to social media, you can set it not no, to. No, no, it's it, like I said, this isn't a privacy thing. This is just a okay. Uh, call call it what it is. It's it's a laziness thing. I just forget <laughs> to do it because I'm not social media conscious like that. So, okay, all right, yeah. F- fair enough. I'm too. Oregon Trail generation, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I get that. It's it's not my first instinct to, you know, post into a social media world. I'm with you there. I, yeah. I've, I am the same way. But just having a record of what you tried and what you liked. Oh, I can't argue with that. Yeah. I just forget yeah, to do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I, I see the benefit to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. so anyways, Untapped, that was the one free advertisement you're going to get on this show. Yeah. If you want um, more? Beyond that, uh, just hit hit me up on social media. <laughs> just send me a message. We'll exchange numbers and we'll we'll talk. Yeah. All right? All right? This, so. is, a, this is a very famous podcast. Yeah, <laughs> this is one you want to jump, jump this is on. The, this is the quintessential Chicagoland, now national, by the way. Now, now national. Here was our podcast. tagline, Chicago's foremost homebrewing podcast. Right. So now, now it's the nation's most for. I Shit. felt confident in that other tagline. I'm not so sure about the oh, new one. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Listen, there is a plethora of homebrewing podcasts out there, but no, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I, I'd be hard-pressed to identify who the front runner is. Yeah. No, I think I, that, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, it's. So, I mean, my opinion. So, it might as well it, be us. It's, it's ours for the taking. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. Yes. So... And there's some, and honestly, there's some there's some very good ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Am I sh- shooting myself in the foot by talking about my competition? But uh, I guess if you, I'll, it, I'll it give, depends if you look at them as competition. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give one out there. Homebrew Happy Hour. It's a it's a uh, podcast out of Texas. It's a group of people. They run a uh, homebrew supply company. I tell you, their show is solid. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like it. Is it like a informative thing or a discussion it's, thing? It's or? pretty informative. Okay. Um, I mean, they keep the vibe very lighthearted. You know, it's a good, you know, warm uh, discussion. Um, there's there's Q and A's. They do that. Okay. 
And okay. they just have a couple of topics. I mean, each podcast is about 30 minutes. That's and not I, I, they give descriptions in the episode, and they usually have two or three like main core items that they talk they talk about in each episode. You know, it's it's easy to follow. It's good good information. They seem like pretty good guys. Huh. So neat. All right. Yeah, I'm totally endorsing my competition. Yeah, it's fine. Hey, homebrew happy hour is you know there's room for two. There's there's room for two, and uh, you know, return the favor. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. A nice place to brew out of out of Chicago, Illinois. We're 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 friends now. <laughs> Come on, do the same for me, will you? Come on, do me a solid. I, I think at this point, Jason's just looking for marketing and endorsement opportunities. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> so, but yeah, so you know, as of 2017, I moved to Virginia. And one of the benefits that we have had from that is a huge amount of exposure to a entirely new regional beer scene. Yes. Um, some of them we've talked about before on this show. One that uh, Jason and I are both uh, big fans of is Hardywood. Yes. In fact, let's, I, let's go back in time and let's color that in a little bit. Okay. We uh, I. We posted an episode in either November or December of 2016 after George and I made a trip out to Virginia over a Thanksgiving holiday, mm-hmm. and uh, we got to tour around uh, Richmond's uh, uh, brewing scene. And uh, Richmond is rated as the number seven city in the United States for craft beer. Is that correct? Something like that, yeah. Yes. So check out the episode. It's in the archives. Um, we do. I think there's... Th- three maybe four breweries that are reviewed on that uh, show and hardywood absolutely is one of them and we can talk more about them now because i I tell you hardywood i i mean this very sincerely is a gold standard brewery they really they really are and that's not us just again fishing for endorsements but they they it's it's one of those that they're very creative but they keep it they don't take it to a fault like sometimes you get these like super creative breweries that just forget they're making beer yes and, very true. And, and that's not these guys and one of the things that we both really like is their gingerbread stout it's a very seasonal thing for them they make it all in, in you know in virginia there and keep talking oh sure and and then they've branched out into a couple different varieties the first uh being you know like the standard gingerbread stout um, which they make out of Hawaiian ginger, uh, biscuit, um, malt, and a number of other things to really get it that flavor of a, a gingerbread cookie in a beer. Uh, and they do an excellent job with it. And then they've branched out from there, and they do a couple of different things. They, they've aged them in a bourbon barrel and... Um, and that's my personal favorite is that is the bourbon barrel gingerbread stout and I don't even like bourbon barrel aged things but for some reason that combination is just really good um, and then they came out with something I think it was new this year or maybe I just discovered it this year but I brought it out to share with Jason on this trip and it was called Christmas Morning and it is the gingerbread stout um, 
and then in the secondary, while they were resting it, they put it on top of coffee beans and just let all that coffee flavor infuse into that beer. And it just, it's, it is what it says on the bottle. I mean, it, it tastes like Christmas morning. Yeah, and not only that, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything with a flavor that's more reminiscent of Christmas morning than this beer. But at its core, still a stout. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, an imperial stout and a delicious one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. man, it was so good. I'm so grateful that I got to try it. Thank <laughs> you very much. Yeah, I'll keep a lookout for, for more variations please, like that. Yeah. Please do. Now, the, the gingerbread, back to the gingerbread stout for a second. There's a very interesting story behind this, behind the ginger that they use for this. Oh, yeah. You want to you go into that? Sure. So... You know, they one of the ingredients that they do is Hawaiian ginger, and so they were bringing it in, and it was really expensive. So I was talking with one of the brewers from Hardywood, and they said that they ended up cutting a deal with a Virginia farmer that he hasn't converted his entire field. You know, doing this the crop rotation thing that you have to do so you don't kill the soil, but the entire field to Hawaiian ginger, and he grows he grows the entire thing and gives it to them so they can make the gingerbread stout. So they're supporting an entire family just with that beer. And that's all that company does is service Hardywood. I, I think company's a strong word. I think is he's just a local farmer, you know, that that grows it for them. Okay. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. Yeah. Moving beyond that. Sure. Other other Virginia breweries. Yeah. Um Three Notched. They're the ones that Three did the notched. Biggie Biggie S'mores. Okay. Also in Richmond. Also in Richmond. Yeah. Um, old bust head. This is one. Um, if you are outside of Manassas, Virginia, uh, just south of Dulles, um, keep going down the road until you hit the Cold War Museum. Not a lie, actual Cold War, <laughs> Cold Museum. War Museum. And behind that is old bust head, and they had they were they were set up too. I mean, they had some. There was a coffee stout there that blew you away very is a very neat yeah you know very you know high high level looking brewery and the beers backed it up too yeah and honestly i mean i uh i mistakenly said uh said to george before we started recording about that being a brewery that's out in the middle of nowhere and i said that because that's pretty much kind of where we were coming out of right i believe if you look at the the um the brewery on a map it's not all that far outside of D.C. So my statement of being out in the middle of nowhere is probably not totally accurate. To, to, to defend him in that, uh, I live in the middle of nowhere, and we were coming from the middle of nowhere, and that's how we got there. <laughs> you know, Just on the other side of the middle of nowhere, though, is civilization. So. There, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, so um, fish restaurant. Culpepper. Culpepper. Yeah. What was the brewery in Culpepper? So they have two. Okay. Um, we, is, did, we didn't go to two, I don't think. Well, okay. Uh, it's because there's two. There's one over by the train station called Beer Hound, and they make some pretty good stuff. Okay. But the trouble that I have with Beer Hound is that literally right around the corner is Fargon. And in my opinion, f- while Beer Hound is a good brewery, Fargon is a better brewery. Okay. So I get distracted. 
Okay. You know. Perfectly fair. <laughs> hey, listen, some breweries make better stuff than others. Let's face so, it. So the most interesting one that's at Fargon, it's not the best beer by any stretch of the mind, but it, the most interesting one there is they have a um, margarita rattled beer. Oh, do you remember this? We ha- yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, this was fantastic. Yeah. So it is a. It was a joke that they did on. Um, um, uh, what's that? Um, oh, I can't remember this. The the, the uh, mm, New Orleans Festival Mardi Gras. Thank you. That around Mardi Gras. They did it around okay. Mardi Gras. They right. they made this margar this uh, margarita beer, and. It did it basically as a joke. So a Rattler, if you guys don't know, is a device that is hooked up after the beer is made, after it's kegged, and it goes through the Rattler and gets an extra burst of flavor. So a lot of times like they will take uh, a stout and then they'll put coffee beans in the Rattler, and then as you're pouring it, it gets a little bit of coffee flavor. Didn't Busthead have one of those too? I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty common thing. Um, so what these guys did is they basically put margarita mix in the Rattler. So then when, you, when you're pouring this beer, which I think was a lager, it was something light. Okay. It goes through and it just gets a little bit of this margarita flavor. It's not for everyone. I actually enjoy it. I think it's pretty tasty. My my mother, on the other hand, not so much. Took one <laughs> sip and she was done. Really? Um, but, you know, it's it's an interesting flavor and it was an interesting experiment that it seems to have kind of taken off for them. That's awesome. So. I'm trying to think where else I've had stuff like that. Busthead is the one place that comes to mind where I, where I saw that machine right. behind the bar. Metal Monkey did it for a little bit. They had a Rattler. And I think they put coffee in it. You know, I may have tried the beer, but I don't think I saw the Rattler. Okay. Now that I think about it. Yeah. I, I got to keep my eyes open for that. No, that's, that's, I don't, that's I don't know point. if they still have it I think, or they borrowed it from somebody or what. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've got an idea of, I think, of what the recipe was that called for that. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, other memorable beers that you've had in Virginia. Absolutely. So, you go a little bit more... West, and you end up running into a town called Harrisonville. Uh, and just ha- in that area... How big is Harrisonville? Not. Not. not it's, a thousand it, I mean, people? No, it's more bigger than that. Okay. I mean, it's like the size draw, of, draw, like... Paint a picture here. Culpepper, orange, so small town kind of thing. Okay. Um, right. But for one reason or another, it's attracted a lot of brewery-type business businesses okay. there okay um so one of them is devil's backbone Ooh. uh they make a vienna lager if you are have anybody that you're trying to kind of get into the craft beer scene or you just want something that is not overly craft beery and you, but you don't want to go all the way to miller light the vienna lager is like the perfect thing to go kind to. of a gentle step above yeah. Standard. Like. It's like a standard American beer, but with flavor. All right. They use right. Vienna malts, which okay. are some of my favorite sure. malts, you know, sure. especially for lighter beers. And they, and it's just a really solid lager. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very uh, popular one in the area and, uh, and, you know, very widespread because of that. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one over there, another brewery over there. It, actually, this is a cidery. Is R- called cider. Okay. Yeah, cidery. Now, are are you? Do you call yourself a fan of cider in general? You know, it depends on the cider. Um, sometimes ciders can be too acidic. Sure. And yeah. uh, and that can be off-putting. Um, but when I find one that finds a good way to balance that, you know, they can be very good. And Bold Rock, again, out of that same area, is one that I think has done a very good job with that. Um, they've they've uh, explored different fruits and different combinations. They have you know, your typical uh, Granny Smith. Um, they have uh, pear and, and 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 you know the standard ones like that. But then they also have other ones that are good. Like they have a blood orange. Okay. Um, they have something that they call IPA or India Pale Apple, and this is a ultra hopped um, cider that gives kind okay, of this. Wrap your head around that ultra hopped <laughs> cider. Yeah, very so unique. It is. It yeah. is. So it has like kind of those bittering notes from the hops, but it also has that crispness from the apples and everything. So it's a. It's a interesting combination it it made jason cringe when he when he tried it you know but but just i mean on a conceptual level uh i don't know how wide the distribution is for that product but there's absolutely a market for that Uh, yeah apple flavored and hoppy there's a lot of people that would really be all over that i'll tell you i mean i i you know i got it because it intrigued me i was like ipa yeah sure sure what's that but it was a it was a good once you got past the initial this is strange it was actually a good balance between the bitter and the sweet of yeah. the two you know together which yeah. um but then a seasonal one came and just blew my socks off still on cider right it's just still on the same cidery oh oh okay yeah Great. uh it's a it's called orchard frost and I was telling you a little bit about this. There's Blue Ridge Mountain apples, so super local apples, and it um, had it was it was brewed with spices, um, but specifically cinnamon and vanilla in it. This it, does sound right up my alley. Yeah, yeah. No, this was a it, it was just a little bit spicy and had a really good flavor and the vanilla helped to cut some of that acidic crispness that I you know I, I, I really don't like in a lot of ciders and so it just smoothed out the whole thing okay yeah that I wow. wish they made all year long that does, that does <laughs> sound really good wow nice yeah I don't think I've ever been to a cidery now that I think about it yeah I haven't either it's something I'd yeah. like to do Oh, I feel kind of strange saying that. Never been to a cidery. Okay, I must change this. Yeah. All right, putting out to the universe. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about specific beers from those Virginia bre- uh, breweries, but do you have any others you want to throw on there? Any other major breweries that I've been kind of keying in on? Um, 
I mean, I have tried some other ones, and you know, some of them have been a little bit hit or miss. Um, there's a lot down kind of that uh, Newport News area. Okay, um, that's you're going to towards the Atlantic coast at that right. point. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a lot in uh, in Richmond, and then around Charlottesville, which right? Is a major area, right? Um, but those are the ones that have kind of stood out for me. Far gone, uh, you know, probably because it's so daggone close to me, and actually. If I'm ever in town when they're meeting is where my local homebrew club is supposed to meet. That's right, folks. George has found a homebrew club. I have. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're meeting this week, <laughs> so I can't be there. <laughs> they met yesterday. Um, but that's that's where they're supposed to meet. So that, that might be why it's standing out, but they really do have good beers. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. So. so there's a great scene around Virginia. So you, you've gone to a good place, at least you know one that you can try a lot of things, learn a lot of things, and that part's worked out. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I can't I can't possibly talk about uh, Virginia's uh, craft beer scene without talking about a specific beer from Hardywood that I got the chance to try over the summer that just blew, blew my socks off. And I'll, I'll give the story behind it. George and I were having lunch at um, at a small little sandwich and cheese shop in... What city oh. was? Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. I do. What town was this? It was in Culpeper. It was in Culpeper. And okay. It was the, the Culpeper Cheese Company, which Culpeper. Actually, there we go. Culpeper Cheese Company. It's actually not there anymore. Right. Right. But yeah. Yes. So it was lunchtime. We were having a sandwich, having some cheese, um, and they had a relationship with Hardywood where they would have a select number of their beers available just in small pours uh, there on site. Well, that was because they did a tap takeover. Hardywood did a tap takeover there. Okay. And then and what we were re, re, so the benefits did, we were reaping was the leftovers from the tap takeover. Okay. So did we just get lucky as far as the timing uh-huh. that it just happened to be in the aftermath of that? Oh yeah, cuz it was like oh, earlier that okay. week I that, didn't, that I didn't happened. know this. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, anyways, well, I mean, the timing could not have been perfect because I don't know if we would have ever found this beer if we weren't at this particular restaurant at this particular time but they had a beer there called mama's peach, Pum- cobbler. peach cobbler yeah and you've never had a sweeter dessert of a beer than mama's peach cobbler from hardywood brewery yep that's that's I, accurate i unfortunately don't know if i will ever find this beer again but i'm telling you it was it was poetic it was just Oh wow! I've never had anything like it. Yeah, uh, they do. They do bottle it. Um, oh, they do. Okay. So uh, come summertime when it comes out because it's a summer seasonal. Okay. I'll see if I can. Uh, oh, or actually, you know man. what? It might be an autumn seasonal. But I'll see. I'll, I'll find some for you. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really, I, I, I really didn't. I, I thought that was like a one-time. Like I, 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 I thought it would be an experimental batch. No. I mean, an experimental batch that just went perfectly. Well, yeah, but no, maybe no. maybe that's the origins. Of but it. wasn't there. Was speaking of that, wasn't there that, and then there wasn't there something that was like a riff on that that was also there. Maybe actually, that sounds right. Now yeah. that I think about it, I don't remember what the riff yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, that but beer yeah. was fantastic. I, I think I don't know if I've ever given. Maybe I've given one other time a beer five stars. 
we discussed it. It was rare for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like one or two. Yeah. It was, it was really that one. Um, it's like Mama's the, the Bud Light. The gin- yeah. How dare you? How dare you? Is that even in Untapped? Of course it is. Okay, it's it's a beer made in America. Of course well, it you is. You know, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll verify that, but that wouldn't make sense that it wouldn't. Um, Hardywood Gingerbread Stout um, certainly would be on there, and then um, that Imperial Pumpkin Stout from uh, oh Warlock. Warlock. Yeah, that would absolutely be on there. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Shame on me. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say this on the show. I had Warlock on tap in the late summer of 2016. I did not get a chance to venture out and find that on tap this past Halloween season. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so ashamed to say that. Oh man. And my understanding is this is not. I mean, it's not a. You know, it's not Sam Adams or or Budweiser in in terms of its reach. But, I mean, this is not a beer that you couldn't go out there and find in a major metro city. Yeah, I think they're, they've branched out to the part where they're national. They're, they have that kind of regional national thing going on where it's like... That's what it feels like, at least. You know, available all over the country in certain areas, you know, so... Yeah. 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 Southern Tier Brewery is, is the one that makes that. And yeah. Oh. They knock... Oh. The, they oh. knocked that out of the park. What? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's not even close to the best beer Southern Tier has made. Not even close. We've never had this conversation. Oh, boy. This, yeah. this is about to get heated. Yeah. All right. So. Start talking. <laughs> I'm here to defend Warlock. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know how you're going to do that. So. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's pause for one second. Southern Tier is another brewery that I feel safe saying that this is a gold standard brewery. And this is another one that loves to play with their beers but doesn't forget they're making beers like these are the ones well that, said. Well that said. these this, this is the same company that made chocolate orange yes which if you've ever had them I, I i don't ever remember what company i think they're british but it's it, it's like a orange wrapper and you open it up and then you smack it on the table and it drops apart into like a couple chocolate orange slices and so that tastes like you know if you because they do infused chocolate with orange that's that's what that candy tastes like and that's exactly what this beer tastes like too wow but that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is a seasonal that they put together called cinnamon roll oh i've never had this oh that sounds delicious yeah i found it it's 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 like one of those things that you think was a dream maybe because you find it and then you have it and then you can't find it again um but i verified it's actually real and (laughs) where did you have this did you have it out of out of a bottle did you find i had it no i had it out of bottle and it was when i went back to my family's place because well in florida no in pennsylvania oh um because well unfortunately my grandfather passed away um but I was going back to, you know, see the family and decided that my, by and large, my family's taste in beer is not <coughs> great, let's say that. So okay. I decided to stop by and pick up some stuff, and I saw the bottle of this. It's called Cinnamon Roll, and it, it, it that's, I mean it's another one of those that it is what it says on the bottle like it tasted exactly like a cinnamon like roll. a cinnamon roll oh, its base was i believe a brown ale okay and 
it was just spiced with cinnamon and vanilla and had like that extra sugary note so it had to have lactose in it and it just was is what it tastes like it tastes like a cinnamon roll that's fantastic i want to try this and that i think is the best one they make okay all right yeah wow all right i got some hunting to do there <laughs> give you a project all right so after covering virginia's um craft craft beer scene mm-hmm. i want to talk about illinois a little bit okay and being that you've had a chance to check out virginia's uh craft beer scene and you've identified some things you like are there specific breweries in illinois that in retrospect really stand out for you or and and that you miss particular beers or where's your where's your brain at on that Hmm. So where my brain's at on that is that a lot of the craft brew scene in Illinois has a tendency to blow up and go national and be more readily available. Okay. Like somebody says craft beer, Illinois. One of the first things that comes into your head is Goose Island. Thank you. Okay. And you can get that everywhere. Well, they got they got bought up. I know they did. Yeah, but you know, thankfully, it was it InBev or yeah, I think it was InBev. Yeah, has in large part left them alone. What it feels like, at least. Yeah, I mean, the recipes yeah. haven't changed. They haven't added and, a ton of rice in or anything like that. And, and that's great for them. So right. they 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 have access to InBev's distribution channels, and they've still you know kind of stayed true to form. Right. And I think that's exactly what InBev wanted. They didn't want to swallow up a brewery that's, you know, solidified their their name and their presence out there like Goose has. Right. You know, when you know when you got a good thing going, you know, why why mess with it, right? right? Yeah, right. exactly. So, I think, you know, the, the that's the first thing that comes into my head is Goose Island when I think craft brew. And okay. I know that there's a lot of people and there's an argument to be made that that doesn't count anymore. You know. Okay. Um, but then I start thinking about uh, the the very local ones like you have myths and legends you have metal monkey you have um uh, uh Solomoth. sure uh, and and those guys and i start thinking about those ones and the <coughs> you know while some of those guys not every beer that they make is a winner okay very true um but Almost all of them, I can think of at least one or two that they've just hit out of the park. Okay, and that's yeah. it, you yeah. know. So I think of the Illinois craft beer scene. That that's my that's what comes to my head is those times when I've had those beers that just kind of feel like they came out of nowhere and just blew me away. So, folks, what George is saying is Illinois is full of one-hit wonders. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. But, you know, it, it, for me, my craft beer development was largely in Illinois. Sure. And part of that, especially with the uh, injection into the homebrew scene that Jason and I have here, means that we've gotten to know a lot of the breweries and brewers on a personal level. Yep. So it's, you know, there's an element of nostalgia for me. Yeah. 
I and, get I get that. Yeah, and and there's an element of um yeah, I want to call it like a hypercriticality because I know these guys, I know what they're doing and I know that, you know, what what the I know how the sausage is made. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean we've we've taken a tremendous amount away from that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's been great, but it's definitely left me with a different outlook on Illinois breweries than I have on Virginia breweries. Okay. All right, that, because that's Because I'm that's coming fair. into them as a beer enthusiast. Right. Right. Okay. You know, so hope that makes sense. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. No, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, I and and I I think anybody in your in that position would probably feel the same way. You know, I mean from you know, from going from one scene where you got to know people on a on a personal level and also gained a lot of knowledge, you know, to one where you've to this point you've been able to try a lot of things and you know, enjoy a lot of things and identify a lot of good things. No, that's that that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, and I think the other part of it too is I, you know, a lot of the ones I reference, they're not that old, you know, as far as a, a, a company. You know, I mean, Metal Monkey just celebrated their what two year? Two year is this coming Saturday. Is this coming Saturday? Yes. So, you know, the ones that are really gonna make their mark and they're really going to push it are going to be those ones that get away f- not get away from but refine their styles and refine their methods to where it's not a slightly hit or miss game and they can have good better best instead of okay good great okay you know and, well, well said and i think there's a lot of uh you know craft breweries around here that are refining that and are getting so very much closer to that and the ones that aren't going to be able to do that they're gonna you know they're gonna fall away yep no i, I totally agree no it's interesting being you know being here i don't have the same exposure to the virginia breweries that you have but I have been here in Illinois to see the growth in the craft beer scene mm-hmm. and just how many new players have not only popped up but continue to pop up. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's more all the time. And, you know, I mean, each each one of these breweries has a unique story, you know, and, and many of them have some, have some unique offerings too. Some of them extremely good. Some of them, you know, not as good as others. Right. You know, there's, you know, there's a story and, you know, a uh, – you know a different uh, appeal you know to each one that's mm-hmm. and that's been unique uh for me being that i've seen it now for a number of years and also have taken a knowledge of home brewing which i've acquired through homebrew clubs mm-hmm. reading and and brewing on a monthly basis with you for several years you know that um you know adds a lot of context to that yeah so well, and we, you know, that we should acknowledge the one that we just went to. You introduced me to a new one, and and they've kind of taken a little bit of a brew pub kind of a tactic to it, um, kind of like Emmett's, and it's called More Brewing up uh-huh. in Villa Park. Yeah, um, very new brewery. They're, they're very new. At the time of this recording, it's January twenty eighteen. And they've they've been open for no more than seven months now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were that new. Yeah. Um. But even knowing that, then you know, I it, it it makes what we had there, you know, all that much more impressive. Sure. Um, sure. 
they're the type that they have guest taps, they have wine, they have ciders, and they still make their own stuff, and they only have about four, three or four taps that are their own. Correct. Um, and so if you want that more established brewery, then you have that as a, as an option there. So it can act as a restaurant or it can act as a brewery yeah. for you. You can go there, have dinner. You can go there and have, you know, a beer after work. Right. You can have cider and wine. Right. The Nashville hot chicken, by the way, is not messing around. <laughs> but, um, so we went there and they had, you know, the one that really kind of stood out for me there was that, uh, a stout that they made that they uh, is a, a kind of a coffee stout that they um, the added ha- the in. The hazelnut one? Hazelnut. Yeah. And, and that was a was porter. Oh, was it a porter? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hazelnut and... Um, the regular one was... Was the, it the same recipe, just the, the yeah. only difference was hazelnut? Caramel. Hazelnut and yes, caramel. Yes, That's yes, what yes, it was. Yes. And, and I had the flight, so I had all four of theirs. And so they had the regular coffee porter, and then they had the coffee porter with hazelnut and caramel. Uh, and the variant, as they called it, was a good addition. Yeah. I thought it added a lot to the beer, um, and it uh, definitely, uh, you know, kind of rounded out the flavors for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, and it was the uh, the perfect fit for the night. We needed, you know, to grab something to eat. You know, wanted to have some good beer too, and they, and it's hit on both of those for us. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about homebrewing, shall we? Sure. All right. So, what's your homebrewing story since uh, since leaving Illinois? Since leaving Illinois, so um, Jason kept all my stuff, and ah. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you! <laughs> all right, let's. Okay, I think it's fair to color this in. George and I had what we would refer to as the divorce, yeah, or yes. a brewvorce, or brew-vorce, whatever you want yeah, to call it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like so. I like brewvorce. That's, that's a good one. Yes. So So the equipment that we had acquired over the course of just over two years obviously had to be split up. And George had a lot of stuff that he just didn't feel like loading onto a truck. So I would say that a good volume of that, you know, is now relocated uh, to a nice place to live, a.k.a. a nice place to brew. Yeah. Here in Darien, Illinois. And uh, the rest of it made its way to Virginia, where it um, seemed to stay in storage for a few months. Yeah, well, I mean, there was some stuff going on. So, um, some like some you know, buying a house and yeah, getting yeah. it ready, and you know, little all, things. That, all those things. So, <laughs> anyway, so Jason came out and helped me uh, spend a lot of money. And Let's put a timetable around this. So, you left Illinois in May, May. of 2017. Correct. Okay, so. And you didn't, uh, and you guys were kind of getting things finalized for a good, at least month. Yeah, we didn't move into our house. We were staying with my in-laws for a little bit. We didn't move into our house until about mid-June. Okay. So all right, and then obviously, work was to be done. Yeah, you know, getting as as moving sent you know tends to require because moving is a huge pain. Yes, I don't want to do it for another 30 years if I can avoid it. I totally get that. I kind of feel the same way. (laughs) I found a nice place to live. So There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling pretty good about that. So you came out in July? September. September, that's right. Yeah, September. Okay, so you were at about the three-month mark in the the Unionville house? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And right. So I'm feeling the itch to brew again, and Jason's coming out, and so he helped me spend a lot of money and get kind of set back up. Um, get a you know a new propane burner, a new mash tun, um, and a. I actually went for the fast rack fast ferment conical, which is a nice upgrade. Yeah, I mean it is. It, there's nothing wrong with carboys and things, um, but this, and you know, the idea of this is it goes down as a cone, and then there's a ball at the bottom that you can remove trube or recover yeast and things. Um, I haven't quite done that yet. Um, Re- recover yeast. Yeah. So um, at the end of a ferment cycle, the yeast will settle to the bottom. Right. And so when you rack over to a secondary, you're racking off of that yeast to help clarify the beer. Mm-hmm. So the idea with the conical is you don't have to rack it to another vessel. You can just close the valve, unscrew the ball at the bottom, and all of a sudden, boom, you're in a secondary. Oh, because all the trube's been removed. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeast yeah, yeah. has been removed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I remember then, seeing the the contraption. We d- we didn't understand that bottom bulb properly. Yeah, I did. I didn't. Time. I didn't. But no, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, primary to secondary in the same vessel, yeah, right? Is which has worked out great, by the way. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And um, so yeah, so you close that off. You take the ball off, and then you can do go through the process of separating the yeast from the trube. Mm-hmm. You could recover it, and then you could. Um, you know, create a starter, make more yeast, and essentially reuse it if you wanted to. This right. would be the process of, you know, yeast recovery. I haven't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, but but, it but is, you think about that. That's exciting to you? Yeah, yeah. I have, I have a stir plate. Um, I want to get some Erlenmeyer flasks and, and give it a shot. So Nice. Yeah. Um, but the biggest change to uh, my process that I'm doing – uh, versus what we did is I added a new contraption to my setup, uh, and it's a sous vide appliance. You want to go over what a uh, sous vide is and yeah. just kind of what its main function is? So its main function is actually cooking. Okay. So the idea is that you can put something like a steak uh, into a vacuum sealed or you know sometimes even just like a Ziploc bag that you remove the air from, and then you put that in a water bath. And so the idea is, you know, hey, you want to get a steak up to, like, 145 degrees for it to be mid-rare. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the idea is instead of cooking it at 300 degrees on a grill, you cook it at 145 degrees until it's at that temperature. In a water bath. In a water bath. That's awesome. So the sous vide maintains that temperature, whatever temperature you set it to, and circulates the water around to make sure that all the water is at an even temperature. Okay. So what I'm doing here is I'm modified the the our setup a little bit because one of the problems we had was getting our strike water to exactly the right temperature that we needed. Oh yeah. Right. So it was a battle every brew day. Right. So what I do now is I heat up the water. Let's say that our initial strike is, needs to be at 192 degrees. Okay. I heat up the water to 185 and then I dump it in my vessel with my sous vide 
and allow the sous vide to circulate that water, and I set the wa- the, the sous vide at 192 degrees. With, with the grains in the mash? No, no, God, no. This is just no. water. Oh, I'm sorry. I misheard that last part. Okay. So, so okay. So, because you, you wouldn't so you, strike okay, at yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't sorry, want your stupid. your yeah you know, your first edition to settle at 192 degrees. This is the strike water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put that. So the sous vide is done after the water's heated up. Right. Yeah. 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 So okay. then I turn off the sous vide. I drain that into the, um, into the mash tun, and then you know I know that. That entire vessel, all the water in that vessel, is at 192 degrees. So as long as the Beersmith software is doing their calculations correctly as far as the temperature change from the water to the grains, then you should be dead on as far as to what the mash temperature would be. Correct. And I've noticed that I need to adjust my equipment profile just a little bit because I'm about two degrees north of that. Oh, okay. Pretty consistently. Um, but that, and then that's just initial strike. Like the step from the um, protein to the sacrification rest is pretty accurate. Okay. But the initial strike to the protein rest has been about two degrees off. Is there any limitations to the suvi as far as to how hot it can get the water for you? I mean, it can't, it, it can't really go all the way to boiling. Um, but I've taken it to 192 degrees. Really? Yeah. Okay. And right. it has been able to do that. Now, the the limitation with the sous vide is the warmer you need the water, the longer it's going to take to get there, which is why I'm like pre-warming the water to close and then allowing. So basically I'm doing the rough in with propane. So, okay. And then doing the fine adjustments with the oh, sous vide. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. I like where you're going with that. I really do. I, yeah. I know I was there for the first experiment, and I know there was some uh, trial and error with it. But there was, no, because I wasn't doing like I wasn't doing the rough-in. I was trying to That's have... That's true. Yeah, we started from the ver- like room temperature water. Right, and yeah. it just it gets there. It just takes a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, yeah. That's awesome. So, you got the equipment. Uh-huh. Feeling good about the equipment? Uh-huh. Good. Yes, absolutely. Good, good. Now, one of the things, unfortunately, that you learned early on was um, the market for supplies, <laughs> not quite as plentiful or helpful or uh, variety uh, rich as Illinois, huh? What he's trying to say is I miss me some Chicago Brew Works. Yes. Yes. Um, Cheers, and- Chicago Brew Works. Yes. You guys rock. Uh, and, and, and you're not wrong. Um, I absolutely do. Uh, it just, you know, that was actually, you know, they had pretty consistently good beers. Oh, yeah. And the shop was, uh, you know, what, I mean, as a home brewer, what, you, you, what, could, you couldn't, you couldn't ask, ask for much No, more, you, 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 could, know? you could You had knowledgeable staff. You had a wide variety of grains. Yeah. Any um, questions that you have, you had meaningful, deep answers to. Right. It was, yeah, yeah. So, and 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 a good and a good supply of equipment too. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so there there are homebrew shops in Virginia in my area, um, but you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just that the bar set way too high for me, but uh, it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. Um, so, 
I have become officially a mail-order home brewer. George, mail-order home brewer. Yeah. So my last batch, I, I you know, I ordered it in. I feel like it's going to be on a business card one day. Ma- <laughs> mail-order. <laughs> mail-order home brewer. Yeah. No, I ordered it. Get your wife working on that. <laughs> working on a design for that. <laughs> I ordered it in, and I had them mill... All of my base grain because I knew I used it all. But uh-huh. then I had them send my specialty grains separately, unmilled, yeah. and just use my mill to, well. Great thought. Mill them. Um, so that let me keep some for inventory and, you know, control what I was using. And it worked out. Great. Yeah. Came quickly and worked out. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So what, have, uh, what all have you made? Oh, well, okay, so when you were out, we couldn't buy a bunch of equipment and then not brew, so I... Of course. I, you know, I picked up the stuff to make an amber ale. Okay. Um, that was a big hit with everybody. That's awesome. Um, and then I've made a triple that turned out pretty well. I think I was a slightly under-attenuated with that, um, and I think there's some tweaks I can do with that one. Now, we've made a number of triples in our day. Mm-hmm. Has uh, has your has your recipe uh, changed to a great degree, or is that, uh, or did you kind of mirror it off what we've done before? Very, you know, it, it's it, uh, this would be like a mirror darkly. I I kind of started with that as a starting point, and then made some modifications. Okay, all right, that's fair. So, um, and then and then. So I was out there, and this isn't a Virginia brewery, but it's another one that I encountered out in Virginia. It's a, a beer called Ten Fitty, <laughs> and it's named that because it is a imperial stout with that is ten point five percent. So Ten Fitty, um, and I wanted to make a clone of it. So you tried this, and you you thought it was fantastic. Yes, absolutely, and it. And it so, talk amongst no, yourselves. No, no, hey, no, 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 no. Let's yeah, let, let's fill let's fill this in a little bit more. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. So yeah, so I, um, so yeah, so I I had this beer and I decided I wanted to make a clone of it, and I put together I I went on to them internets and I found me a recipe for it and made some modifications. So somebody out there had created their own ten, ten fitty clone, right? A clone recipe. recipe. Okay, yeah. All right. So I found their clone recipe, tweaked it to my equipment and everything for a five gallon batch, and <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an interesting recipe. Um, what else could you say about the um, the release of ten fitty? I mean, what what about it is particularly unique? I don't know where you're going with that. It's just a really solid imperial sweet stout. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, good enough. Yeah. No, no I don't know just, if there's anything necessarily special about it. I don't okay. think it's a All seasonal right. or anything just, like that. Okay. It's just a solid All sweet right. stout. Or just, just one you one you enjoyed. Yeah. Just a, so, a solid imperial sweet. All right. I already had it in my head that I wanted to make something big and dark. You know, it was it's oh, wintertime. Okay. All right. So, um, so I missed the mark when it came to the uh, – the original gravity. Okay. All right. I was supposed to hit 11 something and I think I ended up hitting 1080. All right. Okay. Um so now one thing that we've talked about here on this show is hitting those higher gravities when you have a homebrew setting where you don't have a 
multi thousand dollar Herm system, right? Or pumps, which neither of us have. You know, I mean, you know, and and uh, a couple of the implications with that is number one, you doing a lot of manual work. Mm-hmm. You know, transferring and doing things like that when you have you know processes in place that, that do a lot of things for you. If you have further automation, but um, also hitting those higher gravities becomes increasingly challenging. Oh yeah, yeah. Your your volumes have to be perfect. Your temperatures have to be perfect. Your yeah. your everything has to be perfect yep. basically because the more of a amateur type, you know, like we're, 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 come on, we're brewing in, we're mashing in a igloo cooler. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not designed to do that. Right, and exactly. I mean, it's, it's not a stainless steel, you know, uh, mash ton. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, so it does become difficult. Um, so you got to take it, that into account a little bit, lower your efficiency potential and things like that to make, sh- to make sure you can get close. Um, and you can also supplement with malt extract. You can. You know, as a boil addition. That's another thing that works. Right. You can pick that up. You can boil longer right. and reduce your volume and just create a greater sugar concentration. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are just just some, some tricks out there. Right. Yeah, and those, those definitely work. Um, you can, you know, because it more concentrates those sugars, you know, less yeah. liquid, more concentrated. Yeah. Um, okay, so ba- so back to ten fifty. Sorry, Do, no, that's cool. Re- um, so the problem with this is, I had twenty five pounds of grain, and I put for it a up, five gallon right for a five gallon batch. Yeah, uh-huh. like I said, it was supposed to be big, and there was no DME, no um, lactose, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, everything, the sweetness, the gravity. It's all grain. It's all grains. There yeah. was no corn sugar to kick that up. You know, none of that in it. And um, so it was an aggressive thing for me to do. And also a dumb thing because I realized that I didn't have enough physical volume space, like volume space in my mash ton for the grains and the water. So I did my initial strike and I looked at it and so I was like, that's pretty full, but maybe as it absorbs it'll be okay and then i get my second edition together and i realize no this isn't gonna work (laughs) i don't have space so i had to dump all of that into essentially my brew kettle okay 15 gallon brew kettle yeah and uh it thankfully it has a thermometer on it it has you know everything i need to have it act as a uh, mash tun. So right, um, right. I I added the 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 strike to that. I mean the addition to that. I compensated with the slightly higher temperature for the temperature loss that I was going to get from doing that, and I still got pretty close. I think I, I was targeting at like ten. Oh, I'm sorry, 153 degrees, and I think I was at 149, 148, something like that. As your sacrification rest? Yes, my sac yeah. rest, yes. Okay, got so, it. Um, so, yeah, so I did the best I could. Yeah. You know, realizing during the brew day that I couldn't do it the way I should do it. Okay. You know, right. so. So 1080 is what you hit? Yeah. And aiming for 11. 11. That's still respectable. Yeah. And you and you got to, I mean, depending on how, uh, what did you finish at? 
10, uh, 27. And I you think. had lactose in it? No. Where's all the unfermentables? Uh, it, it's, it, uh, so there's some flaked oats in there, which I think adds some unfermentables. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And it's just, you know, not everything in the grains is going to ferment out. Yeah. So, okay. Well, the, the, oat, the oats are big. In there. Yeah. yeah. Especially with those darker ones, the, the yeah. chocolate malts and things, they tend to add yeah. some unfermentables. So that's okay. where that came from. All right. So, I mean, you know, do the math on that. That's a solid 8% beer right there. Yeah. Yeah. So wasn't 10.50. But it was, uh, you know, eight twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> and I am sp- I am particularly privileged because there is a bottle of this resting up in the fridge. Yeah. That we're gonna get to pop open, and I'm gonna get to try this. Okay. And okay, so I I I've been struggling on a naming convention because I don't feel right. I'm going to go grab it, so keep talking. I don't feel right using the Back to the Future naming convention that we did before. Back to the Triple, Clockwork, uh, Clock uh, Tower Amber Ale, Space Dime Pilsner, you know, all that, because, you know, that was was our thing. That's what we did together. So I've been struggling on what to name the beers that I brew out in Virginia, and this one, I... Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm just like kind of throwing naming convention out the window because I I feel like I have to call it black hole or the black hole or something like that because it is the darkest stout I've ever seen professionally on a homebrew setting or anything. Um, your average stout, and I think the stout uh, um, guidelines say that it should top like the stout category should top out at about 60 srm or was it was it 40 or 60 srm is the top 40 end? i believe okay so I 40 mean, this was off the scale this was this this yeah this laughed at the scale uh <laughs> it, it is a, a 85 srm stout so jason's pouring it right now i mean Am I wrong? Is it the darkest stout you've ever seen? Oh my <laughs> gosh. That is as black as night. <laughs> so So you guys are gonna get a live critique of what he thinks yes, of. Uh, I'm I'm trying this and seeing this for the first time. So it's got a very healthy, foamy head to it. The color is very stout-like. Yeah. Let's see. Extra so, apparently. Yeah, I'm not feeling well tonight, and I, my sense of smell is not top-notch. I don't smell much. Well, yeah, you should smell a little bit. There's a, there is some hops in there. There's three editions of, I think, Centennial, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, And there is some little bit of kind of roasty character on it, too. But yeah. But if your sinuses are... So, all right. Cheers. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um In the context of a sweet stout, mm-hmm. um I think all the numbers are there. Okay. Uh, I mean, certainly. I mean, it hits the uh, the high original gravity. It maintains a high final gravity. You know, retaining some of the sweetness. Um, 
I wonder if it's the oats that just kind of mellow it out a little bit. Yeah, and and I wonder if the reason why you're hedging on this a little bit and not just straight up saying this isn't a sweet stout is uh, if the roasted notes are overwhelming yeah, a little bit. That, that's, yeah, that, that'll lend to it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I, I would call that a job well done. Well, thank you. That's a that's some respectable work. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. So I I I would not recommend you know targeting an eighty SRM. You know, but uh, uh, you, you know what I mean. I wonder. I wonder what some science is behind that. I mean, because I mean, looking at this, I mean, this is a dark beer, but it doesn't. It doesn't look so dark that it's like off the scale and like. What in the world are you trying to do, you maniac? Right. Yeah. There's, we don't have like no, a Vanta Black situation. No. Here, no. Know, not, so. not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, do you reach a law of diminishing returns after you go after you know go beyond sixty SRM or something like that? And and what are the byproducts that end up affecting the beer? I don't know. I don't either. And that's that. Those are both interesting questions. I think we should explore. I think you're probably right that as you go up, like, because there's a big difference between. Four and seven SRM. Oh God, yeah, like, it's a huge difference. Yeah, that's a whole different style at that point. Yeah, exactly. But when you you know comparing this at eighty SRM to forty SRM, you know I don't know if you're gonna see and experience yeah. a whole lot of like color difference or right. Yeah, right. Let's look that up and let's let's uh let's put something on social media. Yeah, kind of okay. detailing that. No, I, I I'd like to know and. You know, I guarantee somebody else out there is probably asking the same questions. Yeah. Yeah. So my trouble is now, okay, so I've made an amber ale, I've made a triple, and I've made this black hole stout. So the question that I'm asking is, like, what do I? where do I go next? Where do I go now? Okay. Yeah. All right. So you had mentioned a Cezanne, and I was thinking about that, but then we had just recently talked about a variant to a Cezanne, like – Saison. Oh, that's right. We had talked about taking a really fruity saison and doing a white wine infusion into it. Yes, we did. And I, I, I like that idea. I think that that could work out very well. I think a saison would be a really almost perfect base for that. Yeah, especially one that maybe had a bunch of uh, orange peel and and those kinds of flavors oh. into it. That's a great thought. Right, because oh, the, the wine that I'm thinking about infusing it in is not like a Pinot Grigio, but like a Riesling. Oh, like a like a real dessert wine. Yeah. Okay. And just going for a sweeter Saison, you know, to get those spicy Saison notes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But then also kind of a sweetness in it. Okay, I, I, this might be a terrible thing. I'm not no, sure. No, I, I don't think it's <laughs> terrible at all. So uh, you and I made, I think, two different saisons before, did. and I don't remember us changing the recipe much. I don't the, think we did because yeah, we with the first gi- one we made ginger. There was ginger addition, right? When then we used coriander because we were kind of exce- yes. obsessed with coriander for a bit. Yes, we were. Um, because the first time we made it was at the. Um, Oh, what's that called? Big Brew Day. In Elmhurst. In Elmhurst. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> and then the second time we made it was on our equipment here. For 
the uh, one of the festivals, right? You know, for one of the festivals, but it turns out that it wasn't done fermenting, but in time. Yeah. Yeah. Which lesson learned about uh, saisons? They can uh, take a little while. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the fermentation is is kind of a u- unique animal with that. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a lager by any stretch of the mind, but it does no. take a little bit longer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Every beer is a little bit different yeah. in regards to that, but yeah, lesson learned. So I like the ginger aspect. Um, I'm not sure I would do the coriander. Um, I'd find Probab- maybe... Probably for what you're talking about, I think coriander would take away from it. I think so too, but yeah. I, I would want to find a way to put kind of a little bit of a spice bite into it. Okay. So I'm wondering if I'm into like a cardamom type area okay you know what i'm saying like the, the those kind of like kind of bitey spices black cardamom i don't know okay i don't know really the difference between cardamom and black cardamom i really should know this too because actually i just used cardamom in a uh, recipe to make a stout okay. in the last couple of months um cardamom smells amazing right well that's good too i mean fantastic yeah. but being that you, I think you want the end product to really carry those wine characteristics. Okay. So I, I would say as far as the recipe, I would go with less is more. Less is more? Yeah. Okay. That's so a, maybe like ginger and orange peel. I think that's I think that's all you need. And that's it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could probably even drop one of those if you wanted to. Yeah. You could, I mean, you probably, I mean, not that you couldn't keep both of them, but I don't think you'd lose much if you if you kept just one. Well, the reason why I'm thinking about both of those is because I'm I'm hoping to pull out both the spice and the fruit aspects of a saison to balance okay. the riesling, the sweetness of the riesling. And okay, all right. Um, so I get the other way I could achieve kind of the fruit aspects is by fruity hops, like a citra. Or good uh, point. Yeah, you know, good point. Yeah, so that's a way that I could possibly put that in too. Okay, that make no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be because I gotta kick a keg before I can do this. Because <laughs> I'm sure you'll find a way. I'm sure I'll find a way. But uh, um, yeah, so I think by the time it's done, it's going to be you know February March time frame. Yeah. I think that'd be perfect t- timing for that to be ready. Yeah. What uh, what kind of other things do you think about making here in 2018? Chips and salsa beer. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I I think maybe I, I I would want to. I'm thinking about exploring a lager, doing a small batch of a lager. Um, I have a fridge that has been kind of my kegerator. It's a little. Um, almost like an apartment fridge kind of thing nice um but i'm hoping to get a chest freezer for my kegs so i'm hoping to turn that into a little bit of a lagering chamber um but i don't think it'll fit a full-sized carboy so i think i'm thinking about getting a uh like a small little like one gallon carboy and being able to do experiments like that okay yeah that's awesome i want to do a lager too And I think I have the tools to do it. Uh, I'm a little bit intimidated. 
We did one before, though. I know, and it, I know but, you know, you you were running all the controls on that. Oh, come on. All you got to do is change the temperature. Every day. Every day. Yeah, I know. Well, no, your car is right there. You got to pass by it every day. <laughs> I don't necessarily have to go buy it every day if I don't go yeah. on that side. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm I'm being a baby about it. I, I freely admit this. But, I mean, honestly, like, like the clock's ticking. I mean, there's a lager competition that's coming up in roughly seven or eight weeks. Yeah, do you have time to pull off the I lager? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. maybe if you did this weekend. I don't know. I, I can't brew this weekend. Or well, next. You're going to have to explore, like, a quick lager strategy. I, you know, and I have a magazine upstairs that, t- that does an article about quick lagering. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Uh, does it? I mean, it feels like a cheat to me i mean not knowing the actual mechanics of it i mean it I is worry, i <laughs> i mean but okay all right I, i'm glad i'm glad that's not an idle idle thought of mine well i mean uh, okay so would i use a quick logger technique and then enter it in the world logger competition you know and <laughs> i would feel like that would be cheating a little bit okay but for our purposes and everything i think that that's a perfectly fine thing to do especially if you wanted to try something and then figure out, okay, this turned out well. Then you can do it as a full logger. That way you're not wasting all that time because a full logger takes, you know, two to three months at minimum. So at least you're not wasting all that time if you if it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. I really have a lot to learn about loggers. Uh, you and me both. You know, I, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I understand the basics of the cold uh the cold temperature fermentation the diacetyl rest and then the progress you know the progressive dropping of temperatures beyond that point right but i mean there's a lot of big topics around it beyond that that mm-hmm. i still need to grab you know gain greater knowledge of we just need a cave that we can put our beer into and Lager I still there. feel like I got a ladder to climb with that. You know, I tell you, I mean, one part of that too is the decoction mashing, which you and I did on the uh, on the classic Pilsner episode. I I have done a lot of reading about that. Yeah, and I know that that's I don't think that's a requirement anymore. It's it's not. Um, I mean, certainly for specific uh, German style beers, there's a case to be made for it. There's a case to be made, but it's really. Yeah to better work with unmodified grains. Yeah. And all yeah. of ours are very modified yeah. at this point. Yeah, okay, that's a fair point. Um, and my other so my other thing I'd say to that is, that was a pain in the ass with two people. <laughs> I, I would not want to do that by myself. No, no. No, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. No, de- decoction mashing in a single brewer setting, forget it. Yeah, plus not. you have no dogs. You are correct. <laughs> you are correct. I do not have a dog. <laughs> oh, man. That just made me sad right now that I don't have a dog. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm uh, I guess I'm sticking to the uh, double infusion mashing. Now, there there are other mashing profiles that I'm I'm considering uh playing around with too. Like what? Uh just doing a temperature raised mash. Um like a yeah. like a three stage mash, right? But not um, just using kind of recirculation and and the water and like all the water at once, and then raise the temperature of that water. 
either through kind of a okay. Herms All type right. okay. setup or through other means. I'm not sure. I, I, okay. Pre, you know, I feel like I need a pump to do that effectively. That would make sense. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's something I really like to, to try out. And uh, Wow. Great thought. Yeah. And, you know, just, just situation, you know, other situations like that. So Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Plus, you know, the idea of not just doing like a protein and a sacrification rest, but doing a, um, oh crap, what's that one? The even lower one. What's that? Um, there's, you know, like four, three or four stages that you can do when it comes to different rests. And I don't remember what the, the lowest one is, but. I wonder what that would do, what that could do to help refine the, 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 the mash and the flavors and the profile at all. Huh. Yeah, because it's not just protein and sacrification. There is one that's below it that I can't remember the name of. Yeah. So. Leave that up. All right. Cut. <laughs> okay, Google. Three-stage beer mash. Multi rest mashing. Okay. I've read about this too. I have too. Yeah. I just can't remember what it is. I can't remember if you were here or not, but somebody recently just told me about a three stage um, mash schedule. Tony. That's right. It was Tony. That was insane. Well, I don't know how insane it is, though. I mean, he. It's like one fourteen and then one forty four, right? But that's what I'm talking about. Like that one fourteen, that's that below protein rest that I can't remember the name of. But what I before I try it, I want to find out like what does that do? What enzymes does that activate? What profiles and what characteristics does that tend to bring out? So all right, here we go. Okay. Uh oh. Beta gluconase? This does this doesn't feel right. Beta gluconase, actually, that does sound somewhat. That might be a protein. Uh, that this. Might be. All right, looking somewhere else. Okay, so it looks like oh, acid rest. That's what That's, it is. It's the acid yes, rest. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, but it looks like it's to uh, do different things. Like, okay, so the acid rest. A big part of that is to break down glucanes um, that gum up the mash. So I'm wondering if that would be really good to incorporate into something like a wheat beer, where we've had you know incidents of stuck mash and things like that. So if you True. you let it rest at about 100 degrees for a little bit, breaks down those enzymes. Does it say how long? No, this article doesn't, but it's, you know, a lot of those are about 30-minute steps, but I don't know. Maybe a 15-minute step would work there. It could know. be, depending on how long it needs. Right. Okay, so actually, actually, this article does say, uh, try a 15-minute rest in the alpha rest temperature range 
and that can help to um, help with stuck mashes and mashes that tend to stick um, and haze in lottery and haze yeah okay all right that's that's a good lesson for me right so yeah and then there's the protein rest and then there's the the starch conversion um which is the sacrification rest and then you know your mash out huh i got a story about that i brewed a double ipa recently I not only used Whirlflock, I also cold crashed after fermentation. Using their immersion? Cold, to cold crash? Yeah. No. No. Moved it right out to the garage. Okay. You, use the winter temperatures to your advantage. Sure. Yeah, that'll that'll get the job done. Um, the beer partially froze over, so I <laughs> did have to bring it to the house. Okay. <laughs> so I ended up moving it to a keg, carbonated it, and uh, it poured nicely, but it was really cloudy. Now, I can pass this off as a Northeast IPA, being that that's kind of, you know, that was kind of the craze of 2017. Sure. But I had to ask the question of why was my beer this cloudy after I did two very reasonable things to clarify the beer? Ah. But this could be the answer. It could be. Yeah. Break down those enzymes. 15 minutes at, at 100 degrees. Because if those enzymes are in there, it's not going to matter how much of that true you drop out. That's that's going to be in there. That's you know that's suspended in there. True. So if you yeah. can break that down a little bit during an acid rest, even a short one like fifteen minutes, because this is say, there's a, I'm going to I'm going to adopt this now. There's a, uh, a profile here. They say you know a hundred degrees for twenty minutes. Jump it up. This has it going right up to 152 degrees for looks like 30 minutes, and then doing the mash out. But what I'd say is we could probably do 100 degrees. Jump it up to 125. Get some protein in there. Yeah. And then jump it up to 152, and then do the mash out. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Here's another profile it has for ooh Pilsner Dry Lager. So this is, uh, you know, ones that are really prone to haziness. Um, and it has 113 degrees, 140, which is the top end of a protein rest, 150, and then mash out. Okay. Then there's the cover all bases step mash program. Cover now, all bases. Cover all bases, yeah. So this is like. Does everything. 95, 113, 135, 145, 154, and then mash out. And how how long is this is this insane mash <laughs> is this cycle? Absurdity, yeah. Uh, Ninety five is for five minutes. The oh, next step is for they actually have have times uh, laid out. They do. Oh my, yeah, because it's you know, it's on a graph here. So uh, <laughs> so it's ninety five for five minutes, and then one hundred and thirteen for twenty minutes, one hundred and thirty five for fifteen, one hundred and forty five for it looks like another twenty minutes. 154 for 20 minutes and then mash out. So total you're looking at about an hour and a half. 
For mashing. For mashing. And then, I don't know, let's call it three hours for for boil. Because <laughs> <I don't... laughs> well, why not? That doesn't feel like nearly enough. I mean, we have, we're going into five or six hours into, into boiling at that I point. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, funny thing about that, too. Um, I think I told you about this. I made a barley wine over the summer as you, part of a barrel project. That. Yeah. Two and a half hour boil. That's got to be a record a for you, right? Hour. It was, absolutely. Yeah. And there was a lot of extract in it, too. Okay. Yeah. They uh, The way they organize it is they gave uh, they gave us the entire grain bill, extracts, and a schedule, and, and hops, too. I mean, they left nothing to, to the imagination. All the ingredients and just, you know, follow the schedule. Okay. That's what I did. And just a really long brew day after a really long boil. Yeah. And Nate was here for it. Okay. Yeah. He had the whole thing? Yeah. Start to finish. Wow. It was only the, the latest one, the winter one, that he had to leave early. Right. Okay. So what was the hop schedule on something like that? Give me a second. I'll pull it up. Okay. It was it was a big one. I mean, the IBUs, I want to say, were between 80 and 100. Okay. That's aggressive. But, I mean, on a two-and-a-half-hour boil... You could add an ounce at the beginning and still have a high IBU, you know? That's a good point. <laughs> oh, crap. You know what? Here we go. Oh, maybe I do have this in beer, Smith. Okay. All right. Here we go. You ready? All right. Here's the hop schedule. Okay. At the very beginning of the boil, dump a one ounce of Chinook. So one ounce of Chinook has 150 degrees in the uh, 150 minutes in the boil. Add another half ounce um, 45 minutes later. Okay. So with 105 minutes left, you have 1.5 ounces of Chinook in uh, in the boil. So what is the IBU on that one edition? The first edition adds 42.9 IBUs just by itself. That's like half your IBUs right there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. The next edition adds 21.2. So just with the Chinook, you're already up to 64 IBUs. Yeah. yeah. All right, next one. 60 at, at the With 60 minutes left, you're adding two full ounces of Cascade. Adding an additional 33 IBUs to the recipe. Two full two full ounces of Cascade. Yeah, with sixty Jeez. minutes left. Yeah, okay. Everything else is uh, is late addition. So you've got uh, here's your aroma hops. You have got um, Cascade one ounce at ten minutes, one ounce of Centen- Centennial at ten uh, ten minutes. Excuse me, and then you dry hopped. Okay, there's uh, three different dry hop uh, dry hop additions. Uh, one and a quarter of Cascade, one half ounce of Centennial, and a quarter of Chinook. Okay. At a dry hop schedule of five days. Five days? Okay. Yeah. And are all those added at the beginning of this schedule? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as it's moved over to secondary. It's another slightly off topic, interesting topic of what, um, when you're dry hopping. Is there any benefit to scheduling a dry hop? Like if you have a oh. five-day dry hop, do you, is it is it is there any benefit to adding it all at the beginning, 
or adding them in as you go. I wish the Metal Monkey guys were here. I know. To ask that question. That's a great question. I, I mean, I've only done it one way. Me dump, too. Dump all the hops dump in. Dump them in and yeah, yeah. go. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. Keep them for a spe- specified number of days and then dump it off. Right. I don't know anything else. I don't either. I don't know if anything else exists, like if there would be any benefit to it. I don't. Yeah. You know? Well, that's a great thing to explore. Huh. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. So you feeling good about this beer? I am. I, yeah. I, I, I'm. I might make it again and modify some of the roasted character out of it just a little bit. Okay. Um, my other option is to add some more aggressive sweetness flavor. Like uh, that may be the one thing that I would recommend. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if that would take the form of lactose. Or if that would take the form of, like, vanilla. You could do both. Well, obviously I could do both, but would that be too aggressive? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, just, I mean, be conservative with the additions of both of them. Sure. But, I mean, it certainly would balance balance themselves out very well. Okay. Did I lose the the sweet stout character completely? I think you did. Okay. And, and I think to your po- to your earlier point, I think it's the roasted notes that do that. Okay. Now, it's still it's still a nice roasted character. Um and and it's a pleasant tasting beer. Um I just I think you lose the character of the sweet stout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But there's nothing unpleasant about it. And anything negative that you may get from an SRM so high, <laughs> I don't feel like it's there, so <laughs> yeah. so don't, don't feel like don't feel like you went off the grid with that one. Well, and yeah, and, and honestly, if I pulled back on some of the roasted notes, you know, like the the chocolate malts and the yeah, uh, what was it, black barley? I think I put in. Um, you know, that's gonna draw down on that SRM naturally. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, so yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah. I feel very fortunate that I got to try this. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was just and, happy and the TSA your... didn't take it out of my bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, you checked the bag, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, all right, yeah. But you, just, you're they get twitchy about alcohol across state lines and all that. Ah, uh, you know what? I've traveled with beer with, with liquids in my yeah. in my checked bag, like, most times that I've traveled. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'll probably get on a list just from saying that on the air. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've never had an issue, and frankly, yeah. I think I think the TSA has got bigger things to things right. to worry about than, uh, than than people, you know, bringing beer on board. They do have a habit of checking my bags, you know. Not not I'm not saying checking Are you into a the marked man for I don't uh, know baggage checks. What it, I don't know what it is, but every time I travel, they, I find a uh, the TSA inspected your luggage tag inside my luggage. You know, your checked so. bags. Mm-hmm. I've man, I have never had that. I think I, it's because I get I, that I get that a lot for carry on stuff because I'm one of those frantic people that I just pack way too much shit whenever I travel, and uh, I end up just leaving one thing in the bag that's got to send off all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I, I think it's because I travel with technology a lot of times, and that has a lot of wires yeah, and things okay, like that. So right. I think that's why that is. Um, but yeah. You know, they, they 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 love checking my bag. <laughs> what does that note what does that notice look like? It's a uh sheet 
it's more it's kind of a oblong rectangle sheet and it just says the you know has the big tsa logo at the top and it just basically gives you a quick rundown of what they did and you know and all that stuff and why and how it's protecting you know freedoms and stuff like that so i just got a crazy image in my head just right when you said that about them leaving a tag in your uh-huh. bag just to say that your bag's been inspected. Uh-huh. Remember, remembering a little movie from the uh, early to mid-90s called Ace Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> the You've uh, been had by Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, well, it wasn't UPS, but, like, he's delivering the package. It was that, it was that scene because he yeah, left yeah. a little stuffed toy next right. to the uh, – the uh, the guy you left it and then he grabbed it and then he saw the tag you've been had by Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know why that seemed that that seemed so fitting right when you started telling that. Story. I don't know. I actually, I actually, I I was up late at night, couldn't sleep, and I turned that movie of all things on on Netflix. <laughs> It's a great movie. I, I don't. I don't. I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. The sequel is horrible, but the oh, yeah. originals, yeah, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> How late at night was this when you were? Caught? Probably midnight. Midnight. Yeah. Okay. So, and it was on a school night, so it was late. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. I think that's what I got. Yeah, me too. I, I'm going to try to check in. We had talked about earlier possibly trying to do some uh, remote, you know, get-togethers like this. Uh, with I'm me all in Virginia. for it. I'm Absolutely. All, yeah, I'm for it too. Uh, and then possibly trying to do um, like, uh, like possibly take this into a, a more of a video realm. You know, yeah, and, I love that idea too. You know, so uh, yeah. that's a possibility. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know what? We've got the technology here. You know, I mean, we're we're ready for you. So we're I mean, in the just, future. You yeah, know, live. live <laughs> you know, live live in the future. No, I mean, I mean this this uh, I mean this show started. You know, just from the visions that uh, that you and I had had, and you know, I mean, more more things to uh, to continue. So uh, yeah, I mean w- when you're when you're ready, you know mm-hmm. I mean this the spots here for you. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, this I mean again this is a thrill uh, to have you back here. I'm I'm thrilled we got to do this. I'm I'm thrilled that I get to I get to critique your homebrew on, <laughs> on the show like this. This feels very appropriate. I mean this is the this is the first George beer that I've had since you left Illinois. That's true. You know. Yeah, because you didn't actually get to try any of the amber. Ale. That's right. It was yeah, it was all gone. So yeah, yeah. Well, a job well done, my friend. Thank and I you. Lo- and I look forward to future shows with you. Well, as always. All right. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>